1: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. And plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over.
1: As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month. Dive into Live One's massive library of songs, listen to curated playlists, or create your own. Check out exclusive artist-hosted stations, and do it all for the best price in streaming. Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just $3.99 per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out com slash best music for details.
2: Bombay, India, now called Mumbai, is the financial, commercial, and entertainment capital of India. It's, a uh... No, wait. Kabul. It's the capital and largest city in Afghanistan. This part of the world is... Hold on a second. Istanbul. Once Constantinople, being named after the Roman Emperor Constantine, this is the largest city in Turkey and... Wait. Bangkok, Thailand. No. Singapore. Uh, Hold on. Malaysia. France. Greece. Nepal? I don't know. Charles Sobrage spent his life traveling to various countries using dozens of stolen passports to steal, con, and murder. He thought he deserved the best in the world, but didn't want to work for it. Instead, he just took it and didn't care whose life he destroyed in the process. This is Monsters. In 1944, French Indochina was an area in Southeast Asia that's where Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia are today. It was occupied by the French until the First Indochina War, where the French were defeated and both kingdoms of Cambodia and Laos declared their independence. North and South Vietnam weren't able to agree on proposed Geneva Accords, and they became the Democratic Republic of Vietnam in the north and the State of Vietnam in the south. After the fall of Saigon in 1975, the countries together became the Socialist Republic of Vietnam. The only reason I'm telling you this is so you'll understand where we're at at the beginning of this story, which started with the birth of Hachin Bunani Gurumuk Charles Subraj on April 6, 1944, in Saigon, French Indochina. At a Catholic hospital, Tran Lung Fun gave birth to a boy whose father she was not married to. Sobraj Hatchard Baunani was an Indian expatriate and he denied being the father of the baby. Though he allowed Fun and the baby to live with him, even insisting on an Indian name from him, he proclaimed that he would have no responsibility for the boy. When Charles was two years old, Fun packed her belongings and moved out while Sobraj was away. When he realized she was gone, it's said that he celebrated. Fun eventually met a French army officer, Lieutenant Alphonse Doreau, and they married on September 15, 1948. He would eventually adopt Charles, but would never let him use his last name. Charles was a troublemaker by that time, and he believed that the officer had ruined their family. Fun was already pregnant with Sabrage's second child, and Alphonse accepted paternity of that child, a girl named Anne-Marie. When Charles was four years old, he got caught stealing and when police brought him home, Fun locked him in his room. Later, when she went to check on him, he had climbed out of the window and disappeared. Eventually, Sabraj called the worried mother and told her that Charles had broken into his tailor shop and had hid for two days behind bolts of cloth. Though Charles begged to stay with his father, Sabraj had no interest in the boy and he quickly returned him to his mother. Alphonse was given orders to return to France in 1949. The whole family was supposed to take a ship to France, but they ran into a problem with Charles. During this time in the country, records were poorly kept and being born to unmarried parents made Charles stateless. That means the person is not recognized as a citizen of any country. Alphonse tried to look into the matter, but he couldn't even find a birth certificate. It was as if Charles had never been born. Fun convinced Sabraj that they were going to have lawyers fix the problem and it would only take a few months. He agreed to watch Charles until they had it sorted out and sent him money to have him transported to France. That didn't really happen. Three years later, Fun and Alphonse had two more children of their own and a third on the way when they were ordered back to Saigon, where Charles was still living with his father. By then, Sabraj had gotten married and had two children and his wife did not like Charles. She physically abused him, which made him act out even more. When Fun arrived at Sabraj's house to see Charles, his wife told her he wasn't there and she didn't know where he was. This led her and Alphonse to search the city for him and they found him living with a bunch of pre-teen kids in a bombed-out building. They stole food and hustled tourists and soldiers. They brought him home and spent the next few months getting the paperwork done to establish Charles's existence and have him legally adopted by Alphonse, something that basically came down to bribing the right people. As France began to lose their grip on Saigon, they sent anybody who was able into combat. This included Alphonse, and he was eventually brought back home on a stretcher. He was physically unharmed, but he was suffering from severe shell shock, what we call post-traumatic stress disorder today. Soon, he was ordered back to France permanently, and this time they were able to take Charles with them, but they wouldn't be there long. Alphonse was found to be well enough to take an assignment in Dakar, French West Africa, which is Senegal today. They lived in a giant villa, which was good since Fun had given birth to two more children by then. They had seven children living with them, which usually caused so much noise that it would aggravate Alphonse's shell shock. Charles used the thieving skills he had learned on the streets of Saigon to become a prolific shoplifter around Dakar. It was here that Charles would develop a strong bond with his half-brother, Andre. Later in life, he would take his brother under his wing and teach him how to be a criminal as well. It was also here that Charles, who had actually been called Gurumuk up until this time, as Charles was never on his birth certificate when it was finally created, The boy had been a fan of Charlie Chaplin and began asking people to call him Charles. When he was 15 years old, he was baptized at the French school he attended and his name was entered into the records as Charles Gouroum-Axabrage. Within a few years, France dismantled their colonial empire and began withdrawing from West Africa. The entire family returned to France where they lived in Marseille and Alphonse struggled with his disability. Charles's ability to get into trouble only increased and soon he was sent to a Catholic boarding school. This didn't help. He escaped three times, the third almost making it to a freighter ship in an effort to return to Saigon. He was sent back to school and escaped a fourth time. When the school called fun, she told them that she didn't care, he was on his own. And he was. He managed to make it onto a ship bound for Djibouti in East Africa. Once they arrived in the country, he was caught and returned to France. When Charles was 16, Sabrage came to France and found his son working in a restaurant. His tailor business had been very successful over the years and he was quite wealthy. Feeling bad for abandoning his son, he offered to take Charles back to Saigon and teach him the business. They signed all the papers to give Charles a visitor's visa and soon they were off to Saigon. But Charles didn't want to work and soon he was off making trouble. Sabraj tried to send him to India to stay with relatives, but the boy continually ran away, eventually being detained when his visa expired. Eventually, he was sent back to France with a 90-day visa. Charles still wasn't really a citizen of any country. The paperwork that Fun and Alphonse had done in Saigon just made it so he was part of the family and could travel with them for the military, but outside of his mother's home, he wasn't really supposed to be anywhere. With the 90-day visa, he could return to his mother and they could go through the process of fixing that, but she didn't want him back. Once he was back in France, she didn't want him at her house. After that, he worked at some restaurants under the table, but after his visa expired, he stole a car in an effort to impress a girl and got pulled over for speeding. He was sentenced to six months in jail for auto theft and being in the country with an expired visa. Once his sentence was over, he was given 30 days to get his affairs in order before he was to be placed on a ship and forced to leave France. Of course, they didn't have a destination for him. They were literally just getting him off French soil and then he was on his own. Instead, Charles hitchhiked to Paris and hid amongst the large Vietnamese community. He spent years committing petty crimes and was once again caught with a stolen car. This time, he was sentenced to three years in prison. While in prison, he befriended a wealthy young man who volunteered at the prison. Once he was paroled, he used his connection with this man to scam money from other members of Paris High Society. This is where he met Chantal Compagnon. He quickly fell in love with the woman and proposed to her, something she hesitated to say yes to at first, but Charles managed to persuade her. Later the same day, he crashed a car while trying to evade police and was sentenced to eight months in prison. Once Charles was released, he and Chantal got married, and soon she was pregnant. This brought Charles the citizenship he so needed, but soon he was in trouble again, and with his pregnant wife, he left France and moved to Bombay, India. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few
0: becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads. To save lives. So... If you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over.
1: As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month.
2: Chantal gave birth to their daughter not long after arriving in India and Charles quickly began working in car theft and smuggling operations. He also began gambling excessively. He began losing large sums of money and even sold Chantal's jewelry in order to continue gambling. When he got himself so far in debt he couldn't get himself out, he planned a big heist in order to get the money to pay his debts. Charles and some other men attempted to drill down into a jewelry store from a hotel room above. They were completely unsuccessful with the drill, so then they tried to use acid to burn an opening, which was just stupid. Charles did manage to con his way into the jewelry store after hours and clean the place out, but before he could catch a flight out of the country, someone had reported the robbery and bags were being searched at the airport, so Charles abandoned his bag of stolen goods and fled the area. Back in Bombay, he was arrested on the street for other petty crimes, but was eventually connected to the robbery and charged with that. While in jail awaiting trial, he faked severe abdominal pain and was rushed to the hospital where doctors believed he needed an appendectomy. Charles only wanted to go to the hospital for a few days to try and escape, so he tried to convince the doctor that it was just an ulcer, but it was too late. Charles was getting his appendix removed. He spent a few days in the hospital recovering from a completely unnecessary appendectomy, and though he was under constant guard, he was allowed to have visitors. Chantal visited him three or four times and brought him flowers and cookies. On her last visit, they waited for the guard to fall asleep, and Chantal slipped his keys out of his pocket and unlocked Charles's handcuffs. He walked right out of the hospital's front door and into a taxi. Chantal climbed into the hospital bed and covered up, making it look like Charles was still there. The next day he tried to buy a train ticket to Bombay, but a police officer saw him and Charles started to run. He was too weak from surgery, so he quickly surrendered. He was taken back to jail, where now his wife was also being detained. She was able to pay bail and get out of jail, but for some reason, so was Charles. A man who had just attempted to escape from jail was let out when his father agreed to pay the bail. As soon as Charles was out of jail, he took Chantal and fled to Kabul, Afghanistan. Chantal had sent their daughter to live with family in France after she was arrested. In Kabul, Charles quickly replenished his funds through hard work and a legal job. Of course not. He scammed it and after two months when he and Chantal were ready to leave, they headed to the airport where Charles was immediately arrested. He hadn't paid the bill at the hotel where they were staying and they reported him to police. Chantal was let go, but Charles was sent to prison where he unsuccessfully tried to tunnel out before going back to his trick of faking sick. While in prison, they let him keep a briefcase where he carried a number of supplies, most likely having bribed someone in order to let him keep it. This case was with him in the hospital, and while the guard wasn't looking, he was able to get out some chloroform and spike the guard's tea. Once the guard passed out, he was able to pick the lock on the handcuffs and escape. He left Chantal in Afghanistan and flew to Iran. At this time, Chantal had had enough of her husband's crimes and she eventually returned to France. There, she filed for divorce and changed her name. She didn't want Charles to ever be in her or her daughter's life again, though he eventually would. Charles used numerous fake passports to travel around Eastern Europe and the Middle East, committing crime and evading arrest. Charles connected with his half-brother, Andre, and the two spent time traveling to different countries, scamming people out of their money. In Athens, while they were at the airport about to flee to another country, their last victim saw them and yelled out, That's him! That's the one who robbed me! Soon, police swarmed in and arrested both Charles and Andre. Charles was caught trying to escape, so he was transferred to another prison. There, he got sick, legitimately this time, and when he was taken to the hospital, he managed to escape once again. He left Andre behind, who eventually served an 18-year sentence. Once again on the run, Charles ended up back in India. By now, he had a consistent process of meeting tourists, charming them, drugging them, and robbing them. His victims would usually wake up in a hotel room or on a train, missing their passport, money, and other valuables. He began using the name Elaine Gautier and posed as a war photographer and a gem dealer. During this time, he met a Canadian woman named Marie-Andre Leclerc in Greece, and the two spent time together, but she returned to Canada. Charles also met a man named Ajay Chaudry, who had become his longtime accomplice. A number of people are believed to have been murdered by Charles due to an overdose when they were drugged so he could rob them. Once the victims regained consciousness, they would try to report the thefts, but due to the language barrier, it was unsuccessful. Charles wanted to start a Charles Manson-style family with himself as the leader, so he began developing followers, though he gave them a little help. He would actually create a problem for them and then help them solve the problem. One man, Dominique Renelot, was poisoned to make it seem like he had dysentery, then he was nursed back to health by Charles and Marie. Two men, Yannick and Jacques, both French former cops, had their passports stolen and Charles helped them find them, something that was easier for Charles since he was the one that stole them. Charles rented an apartment in Bangkok that his new followers hung out at. One of the people that ended up hanging out at the apartment was an American woman named Teresa Knowlton. She had traveled from California to Europe and made her way to Hong Kong before stopping in Bangkok. She was on her way to Nepal to begin living in a monastery and was traveling around, doing as much partying as she could before beginning a life of quiet solitude. While with Charles and his followers, she told them that she was going to the monastery and that she was bringing them money. Once Charles knew she had money he could steal, he invited her to come out to a nightclub with himself and Ajay. At the club he drugged her, and on their way home, he and AJ pulled her from the car, stripped her down to her bikini, and drowned her in the water of a local beach. They took all of her money and her passport. The next day, her body was discovered and it was thought to be a swimming accident at first, but months later, the autopsy would reveal that it was no accident. The case would be reopened and the murder would be connected to Charles. In 1975, Charles befriended two Canadian tourists and convinced them to come stay with him at his apartment. Soon, they were so sick that they couldn't leave the bed. When Charles did this, he would convince the tourists to give him their passports and money to lock in his safe. They always believed that it was a friendly gesture, but Charles never intended to give them back. These tourists stayed with him for three weeks, trying to fight off what they thought was a severe case of dysentery, but eventually they would become suspicious of the quote-unquote medicine their host was giving them, and they stopped taking it. Unsurprisingly, they began feeling better. One night, Charles convinced them to go on a drive with him, and he told them to drink some of his medicine before they left. Instead, when Charles wasn't looking, they dumped it down the toilet. After driving for four hours, Charles was confused as to why they hadn't passed out. He told the couple that they had to go back and they unknowingly were saved from likely being murdered that night. While the Canadian couple were in one room, Charles had conned a Turkish man named Vitali Hakim into buying a large quantity of gems from him. As soon as Vitali got to the apartment, he also fell ill. A few days later, Charles and Ajay would take him on a trip to a gem mine, but the man would never return with him. Vitali's burned body was found near a golf course the next day. An autopsy revealed that he had been beaten and his neck was broken, but his remains would not be identified for some time. The Canadians were feeling better since they had stopped taking the mysterious medicine and they wanted to leave. They demanded their belongings back and Charles tried to talk them into staying longer, but they refused. He finally relented and gave in to their request. They immediately flew home, and it wasn't until they were back that they realized that some of the pages in their passports were ripped out and travelers' checks were missing. But for them, it could have been worse. Over the next month, Charles would travel around trying to sell gems and stealing money. Back in Thailand, he strangled a woman named Stephanie Perry, who was an associate of Atali Hakim. An autopsy revealed that she had been strangled so violently that multiple bones in her neck were broken. Her body was discovered in the water near a beach. While traveling in Hong Kong, Charles met a Dutch couple, Hank Bentaja and Cornelia Hemker, who were shopping for jewelry. He told them he was a gem dealer and invited them to come to Thailand where he could get them a ring like the one they were looking for at half the price. He gave them a business card that read, A. Gutierre, Gem Dealer. On December 10th, Hank and Cornelia arrived in Bangkok and they were picked up by Charles he brought them back to his apartment where they soon fell ill. They would spend the next week fighting off a very severe case of dysentery and the medicine that Charles gave them would not help at all. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right.
0: Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell.
2: Christmas is the season of giving, but it can be difficult to know who on your list wants what. Save yourself the guesswork by giving the gift of choice. Whether you're buying for the foodie, fashionista or homebird of the family, they'll love a Dunn Stores gift card. They can choose from everything we have in store and online, from fashion to homewares to groceries. It's the perfect choice to make this Christmas. Visit dunnstores.com for details. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. On December 15, 1975, Vitali's girlfriend, Charmaine Carew, came to Charles's apartment looking for her boyfriend. She disappeared the next day, and her body was soon found on a nearby beach wearing a bikini. Like with Teresa, authorities originally believed that she had drowned, but an autopsy revealed that she had been strangled. The murders of the three women who had been found on the beach were connected and soon people were referring to the unknown assailant as the bikini killer, despite Stephanie having been found wearing a dress. The next day, late at night, Hank and Cornelia would be forcefully removed from their apartment and placed in the back of Charles's car. He and Ajay disappeared for hours and then returned without the couple. They had taken the young couple to a secluded area and strangled both of them. Then one of them hit Cornelia in the head with a board. They poured gasoline on the bodies and set them on fire before returning home. An autopsy would reveal that both of them were still alive when they were set on fire. Charles and Marie fled to Nepal using Hank and Cornelia's passports. There, Charles killed two tourists. Canadian Lauren Carriere and American Connie Brosnick in Kathmandu, Nepal, and their bodies were also burned. Charles took their passports and used them to travel back to Bangkok. By then, three of his followers had made the connection between Charles and the murders and reported him to the police before they fled the country. Charles, Marie, and Ajay hopped around various countries in Asia before landing in Malaysia where Ajay stole some gems and gave them to Charles. That was the last time A.J. was ever seen and it's suspected that he was murdered by Charles. His remains have never been located. Charles and Marie ended up in India where he murdered Frenchman Jean-Luc Solomon in an overdose when he tried to drug him. He claimed he intended to just knock him out and rob him, but the man ended up dying. The money stolen from this man went to finance a plan to steal from 60 French tourists. Charles bought new clothes for himself and for the new accomplices he had acquired and drove to the Taj Mahal to pose as a tour guide for the group. The group easily believed that he was who he said he was and he spent the day taking them to the best restaurants and gift shops in the area. The next day, the day they were scheduled to travel to Thailand, he told them of the dangers of disease in that country and when he offered them a pill to take, claiming it was anti-dysentery medicine, 20 of them took the pill. The plan was for the tourists to finish dinner and return to their rooms where they would pass out, but none of them wanted to go to their rooms. They stayed in the hotel's dining area and soon they started losing consciousness right there. Someone realized that only the tourists who had taken the pills were collapsing and three young men grabbed Charles and held him until police arrived. Charles was interrogated but wouldn't break character. Eventually police arrested his accomplices and Marie who confessed to everything. She would sign a 32-page statement detailing robberies, the drugging death of Jean-Luc Solomon, and the drugging of the tourists. Then the police connected Charles to the jewelry store robbery from years before. He held out for about two weeks before he finally broke and confessed to his crimes. Well, some of them. He claimed that he never murdered anyone and blamed any death on A.J. Chaudhry, who was conveniently missing. Marie had written in her statement that she believed that Charles had killed AJ in Malaysia. Charles went to trial and attempted to make a spectacle. He had multiple lawyers and went on a hunger strike, but eventually was sentenced to 12 years in prison. Marie was convicted, but she was paroled not long after and sent back to Canada. She died of ovarian cancer in 1984. She was 38 years old. Charles managed to smuggle some gems into the prison and used them to bribe guards. It's reported that he had 68 carats of sapphires and rubies concealed in his mouth. He told one inmate if he was going to be searched, he would swallow them and later retrieve them from his waist. And then he put them back in his mouth. Gross. It's been said that his bribes reached outrageous levels, which allowed him to live a life of luxury. He sold the rights to his story to a Thai businessman, who then sold them to random house book publisher. The publisher hired writers who went to the prison and interviewed Charles and he admitted to every crime he had committed. That was the only time he would though, as in later interviews he went right back to denying he ever murdered anyone. Charles should have been released from prison in India and extradited to Thailand where he would have answered for the multiple murders he committed there, most likely resulting in his execution. The thing was, Charles knew that there was a 20-year statute of limitations on those crimes. So, before his sentence was up in India, he successfully broke out of prison and waited to be rearrested. For that crime, his prison term was extended by 10 years. This gave Charles enough time in prison, a place where he was able to live comfortably, that by the time he got out, he would be free of his other crimes. And that's what happened. On February 17th, 1997, Charles was released from prison in India and returned to France. There, he lived like a celebrity, selling interviews for no less than $5,000. It's reported that he also sold the rights to a movie about his life for millions. Nobody seems to know why, but Charles returned to Nepal in 2003. The reason he traveled there is questioned because it was one of the only countries in the world where he could still be arrested. A journalist recognized him and wrote a newspaper article about him. The police saw the article and quickly arrested him. He was convicted of two murders and sentenced to life in prison. His ex-wife, Chantal, had even filed a case with the European Court of Human Rights against the French government for not providing Charles with assistance in his trial. It didn't help. His lawyer attempted multiple appeals, none of them working, but her daughter, who acted as Charles' translator, fell in love with Charles and he claimed they got married in prison in 2010. She was 20 years old and he was 64. The prison maintains that there was no marriage performed there. I always wonder about these murderers and con men who constantly have women falling for them. Are the murderers really that charming? Are the women really that weak-minded? It seems odd that a seemingly educated young woman would fall in love with a convicted murderer and known con man who's forty-four years her senior and never going to get out of prison. But hey, what do I know? Charles Sobrage remains in prison to this day and in recent years he has had multiple open-heart surgeries. It's reported that his health is failing. He's currently 77 years old. Charles did anything he could in order to not earn what he had. He was so desperate to have everything he wanted handed to him that he destroyed the lives of countless people. It's not known how many people he killed or even just robbed and left penniless in a foreign country. But as long as he got what he wanted, he didn't care who else he hurt. Some call him the serpent. I call him a monster. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harm in yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we'll talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe or follow the show to ensure you don't miss an episode, and you can leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A
0: few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads. To save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over.
2: Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on. See CertaIreland.ie. Okay, so. Presents.
0: Check. Decorations uh check christmas clothes yep check
1: the turkey <laughs> you forgot the turkey dun stores has extended opening hours over the christmas season so you'll have plenty of time to get all those little jobs done opening times may vary check your Dunstores stores app or
0: dunstores.com for more info dun stores make christmas for everyone to oil faster Aga aga an flu a oil a is, is a so in le no let The óle séffoilleg HC PKí tols/ flu, or